to the show. I'm Jenny. I'm Inga. This is Unbounded Compass. This week on the show, we're going to be delving a little bit more into Portland culture and what it means to be a true Portlander. So we did a coffee tour, and then on our blog, we had three articles that were talking about coffee culture and coffee and community. So hope you enjoyed. Yeah, and before we start talking about coffee, it's interesting to just consider sort of the Portland culture as a whole because it really actually plays deeply into what we'll be talking about when it comes to the coffee culture. But sort of this idea in Portland where people really value finding things or products or companies that are local and organic, and it sort of gives the whole city this hipster vibe where everyone wants something that's unique and kind of local, sustainable, all these words are things you'll frequently hear to describe Portland. Right. And especially, um, one of my questions that I prepared for Jenny today is related to this drama called Portlandia. Have you watched this one? Right, Portlandia. Uh-huh. Um, it's a pretty well-known show, and I actually haven't seen very many episodes of it. My daughter was really into it last year and watched a lot of the episodes, so I saw a few of them. But it really kind of gives you this clear view of Portland, and it's kind of written as satire, but if you live in Portland or you know much about it, you'll realize it's not really as exaggerated as it seems. Mm-hmm. For example, there's one episode where there's a couple that goes to a local restaurant to have dinner, and they're looking over the menu, and they're asking the waitress about items that are on the menu, and they ask about the chicken, and they want to know things like, is it free range, is it organic, is it local? And these are all totally realistic things that people will ask in Portland. But then that couple asks the waitress if she has the chicken's pedigree, and wants to know the exact farm it comes from, and she whips that out, and it's like, yes, and his name is Bob, or whatever, and, <laughs> like, knows the exact name of the chicken they'll be eating, knows the name of the farm and the farmer who raised the chicken, has a whole history on this chicken that they could potentially be eating. And so they're, they're thinking about it, and they say, well, that's good, but we want to actually go meet the farmer, oh just to really ensure that he was being treated ethically and raised, you know the way we feel he should have been in in order for us to feel ethically responsible eating this chicken. So they actually say, could you hold our table? And the waitress, oh yeah, sure, I'll hold your table. So they leave and they go visit this farm. And this farm is run by this sort of hippie cult leader and all these women work there and they get sucked into this weird farm scenario. And that takes a while and takes a divergent path. And then eventually they come back to the restaurant and are satisfied with the origin of the chicken. And then they're like, you know what? We're not really in the mood for chicken. Oh my Can goodness. you tell us about the salmon? And the whole scenario starts over again. At least it implies that it does, and then it cuts to the next scene. So even though there's a lot of exaggeration in this, nobody really goes... I mean, some people probably have, have visited friend, farms, uh, but it's not, not quite that extreme, extreme while they're there at the restaurant. But this idea where people who live here, they really care about where their food comes from. Sure. They want to know if it's ethically grown, if it's organic, you know, where, where they're sourcing this stuff. And that kind of filters into all the products that they purchase and use in their lives. And it definitely kind of applies to the coffee culture, which we saw a little bit more about while we were on our coffee tour and while we were talking to Marty, who was a local roaster. Yeah, totally plays into the truth. Mm. Because I assume that that's totally exaggeration. I mean, I could see how it is really related to a lot of vibes that's going on in Portland too. But then, yeah, the one that you mentioned, how they really chase down, track down to this chicken is was just incredible. I think I remember watching that part too. And we saw that on our tour. One 
coffee shop we went to actually talked about the farmer by name. I think his name was Victor. And how they communicate with Victor at his farm in, I forget which country he was in, Mm. Guatemala or something. But they actually brought him in for a grand opening of one of their their sites. Yeah. Yeah, and he was there to meet the customers and talk to them about the process that brought the beans from the farm to their coffee cup. So it happens. It's not unrealistic. It's not a huge exaggeration. Do you think that kind of thing has happened because it's Portland? Or do you think it's like spread out their entire United States? I mean, I think you get more of that in Portland. I do think it's a trend that's spreading. You start to see more of that in other states and other places around the country and probably the world as well. But Portland is definitely an exaggeration of a lot of that. (laughs) Okay. All right. On our blog, there were three articles, and then we talked about coffee, coffee, coffee. Yes. And there were some interesting parts that I wanted to ask you. I mean, we talked about Portlandia. That was one of the questions that I had. But the other one was, so you mentioned that you started drinking coffee seven years ago? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I think I started drinking coffee almost 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) At least 15 years ago. I don't know. When you were a teenager, probably? Um, yeah. The first time I drank, tasted coffee was, I think I was in high school, maybe even earlier. I'm not sure, but it was just canned coffee. But uh, how did you start drinking coffee then? Well, I grew up, I think we've mentioned this before, in a mm. fairly religious household. And so coffee was a no-no. And mm. I didn't drink coffee growing up or even until after I was married. Instead, I got my caffeine from... Actually, I didn't even drink anything caffeinated until after I'd had kids, and then I had small children and was very tired and needed caffeine. Right. And when I drank Diet Coke and eventually Mountain Dew, but it got to the point where I was drinking so much Mountain Dew, like maybe five cans of Mountain Dew a day. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it was starting to make my bones ache, and I thought, you know, this probably isn't that healthy. And so it was about the time I went vegan. So at the time, I quit dairy, I quit meat. I cut way back on sugar. I actually quit sugar for a while, mm. and I also quit all soda. Mm. And I think I lasted maybe two months before I was like, okay, caffeine is good, and I need caffeine. <laughs> so I started <laughs> just <laughs> every once in a while I would get a coffee and, you know, once a week, twice a week. Now I'm up to like twice a day usually. Occasionally I'll have more than that, but I rarely have less than two cups of coffee a day. Um, and at first it was definitely a lot more cream and sugar and all the stuff because I think you have to acquire a taste. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Plus, it was probably pretty cheap, gross coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I definitely don't put all the syrupy sugariness in it most of the time. Your caffeine intake capacity tolerance is way higher than mine. Like when we did the coffee tour, I was literally shaking after three coffee shops, but (laughs) you were fine. No, and that's because I probably do have three coffees fairly often now. Okay. Then next question is, Do you think people have more time to enjoy coffee in Northwest? I don't think it's really about them having more time. I really think that it's a necessity to drink coffee in Portland, in the Pacific Northwest, because... The weather? The weather, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, we have nine months of rain Mm -hmm. every year, and it doesn't rain every day, but at least a hundred of those days Mm -hmm. have measurable rain, and it's cloudy nearly half the year. So, I mean... That's a lot of gray and a lot of lack of sun. I, I remember right after we moved here, I was, it was probably the, the first summer we were here, and my daughter was graduating from preschool, mm-hmm. and they were throwing a party at a park. And as I was driving up there, I passed a couple of gas stations, and they all had signs up that said things like, here comes the sun. And <laughs> it was a sunny day, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's sunny. This is great. And it was June 12th, keep in mind. And the radio said, oh, everyone's enjoying the sun. This is our 11th day of sun all year. Mm. And it was already June 12th. So, mm. I mean, it's very, very cloudy here. And a lot of people have issues with that 
because of the lack of vitamin D. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many people here who buy the SAD machines, you know, the seasonal affective oh, yeah. disorder machines mm-hmm. so that they can get vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And I had a problem with it when we first moved here. I actually thought I was getting arthritis, but it turns out I just had a vitamin D deficiency mm-hmm. because I wasn't getting enough sunlight. So, I mean, those kinds of things coupled with just lack of energy and, and there are some other physiological things that happen to you when you don't get enough sun. Right. So I think you just really need caffeine here. Mm. I think I was getting depressed when I moved here first time. It was winter. It was December. I was expecting snow. Clearly, I didn't <laughs> do enough research, research about this area. And I rain instead. Yeah. Constant rain. Every day was just literally raining all day and then gray sky for, I don't know, as far as I can remember. It was like months. Months and months. Yeah. Depression rates are higher here. Here. Mm -hmm. That's what I heard. It's just something about that weather. It made me so want to sleep longer. I don't Mm -hmm. want to do anything. I don't want to go out. You know, I didn't have any friends and I didn't have anyone to talk to. And you were like, why did I move here? Why am I here? You know, (laughs) definitely the, the weather didn't help. Generally, every April, I look for houses in warmer locations because by <laughs> April, it starts raining in, you know, October, November, right. uh-huh. I'm like really raining. Mm-hmm. And by April, I've had it and I'm like, I can't do it anymore. No, but anymore. then summer arrives and summer is the most beautiful really gorgeous, thing here. Yeah. You're just like, oh yes, this is why I do it. And mm-hmm. you forget until it starts raining again. Right. Uh, summer is definitely better here. In Korea, it's really muggy, humid, and it's hot there. But here, when I moved here, I was like, oh. The summer, I can accept this. It's perfect. Perfect. So yes. good. You're, you're hardly ever hot, Mm-mm. but it's just mild and mm. sunny. Everything's beautiful and green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, summers are great. Yeah. Okay, and then we did the tour. The company, the tour name was Third Wave Coffee Tour, was it? Right, Third Wave Coffee Tour. Mm. I had never actually heard the term Third Wave Coffee, but mm-hmm. I looked it up after I had scheduled this mm-hmm. tour for us. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes along, plays right into that Portland mentality where the third wave of coffee kind of started in the 90s where people started caring more about the actual quality of the coffee and wanting coffee to be like this artisanal thing where they craft it, you know, Mm -hmm. with specific ideas or end results in mind rather than coffee of the olden days where it was like, make it hot and make it, make it strong. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so we went on this coffee tour. Mm Mm-hmm. Was there any part that you liked the most in particular? I really liked that we got to go to a lot of places I had never been to. I hadn't actually been to any of the places we went to on the tour, Mm. which, so it was fun to try new places. Right. But the tour guide was really good because she took time to explain the history of each of the places that we went to and kind of talk about what was their specialty, you know, what you should look for as the highlight of each place. And as we walked, because it was a walking tour, as we walked around Portland, she also pointed out historical things about Portland itself. Right. So, I mean, I love that. I thought that was really fun. And it just gave me more information about the coffee industry in general, I mean, as a whole, mm-hmm. and how much goes into it, which really made me appreciate the whole craft of coffee making mm-hmm. more than I had before. Mm-hmm. They have, like, three different kinds of tours, that apparently? I think she has four. four I mean, right. they're all coffee tours, but each has a different focus. The one we went on was the coffee and donut right. tour. So we mm-hmm. got treats along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's one that I really want to try where you actually sit in this sort of bicycle wagon thing, you know, oh, you yeah. pedal around. <laughs> yeah. They do it. I've seen them, the, the beer, beer cards. Yeah, yeah, beer cards, yeah. Well, apparently they do it for coffee too and you bike around on this like joint 
cart thing, which right. looks really fun. Um, and they have some that go into the roasteries and actually see how that works. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually go to one like that. So each of them have a slightly different focus. So you could go to all four of them if you wanted. But that would be interesting. Yeah. When we met Laura, the tour guide and owner from Third Wave Coffee Tour, and my friend, well-known coffee roaster, Marty, they both mentioned communities and organizations helping the farmers. The farmers right. and, yeah. yeah, so she mentioned it, the tour guide mentioned it a little bit too, and we kind of talked about it at a few of the locations, but we really got an in-depth explanation when we were talking with Marty. I mean, he had so much to say. He clearly has learned the industry inside and out, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because he had a perspective on just about every step of the process. Mm-hmm. But he kind of clarified this whole relationship between the roasters, the coffee shops, and the farmers that are actually growing the beans in the various tropical countries, you know, Guatemala and Peru and mm-hmm. Costa Rica. Yeah, all of those places that are mm-hmm. growing the coffee beans. And he said what they've been trying to do, sort of part of this third wave coffee movement, mm-hmm. is to create a closer relationship between the roasters and the growers because previously there'd been like this middleman where they kind of all sold their coffee to the middleman the middleman distributed it to roasters and you didn't really know what you were getting as much mm-hmm. i think and they've cut that middleman out so they're creating a closer relationship with some of those farmers and they there's more communication so they can be more specific about here's what we want in the coffee and they can tweak it and they can make it more you know, more specific to the the desires and needs of Mm -hmm. the public. But also what that's doing is it's actually showing people that these coffee growers have been doing this job for Mm -hmm. substantially less money than they should be. And that they're Mm -hmm. not really living on the kind of lifestyle that that is fair, considering what they're giving to the public. So it's helping them get a better sustainable income for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's also created these organizations that have sort of popped up. A couple he mentioned were Bikes to Rwanda or Coffee Kids. And like Bikes to Rwanda, for example, donates bikes to some of these coffee growers because they have to hike up these mountains and get the coffee Coffee. berries or whatever. So it gives them some transportation to Mm -hmm. ease their burden a little bit. But yeah, I thought that was interesting how... By helping the farmers, we're kind of helping everybody, right? I mean, right. it's creating a better coffee bean, which creates better coffee, and it gives us more variety and a little more control over the process. And also, Marty told us that even for the same lot, sometimes the coffee bean taste can be different by uh, the weather or the water or whatever that they're doing. Or even just how long they sit between when they're picked And when they're processed, Mm -hmm. it's like even a matter of days can change Mm -hmm. the way it tastes. It Mm -hmm. was interesting to realize how every tiny little step has such a big impact on Mm -hmm. the end result. So by helping those farmers and providing them better way to transport the coffee or raise the coffee beans can bring better quality of coffees in front of us, right? Right. And and this whole idea of having single source coffee. Mm-hmm. So you're not kind of just masking the flavor by dumping a bunch of different coffee right, from various them, places mm-hmm. and then just roasting it longer to roast out the imperfections. Right. That was something I hadn't really heard of before. I didn't realize that the dark roast coffee is just roasted longer and it burns out more imperfections, but it also kind of burns out more of the flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was unaware of. So getting those sort of medium roasts brings out the different unique flavors that the coffee beans come with. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting to learn. I think that's the part that Marty does the best because his coffee is so smooth. He does try to roast the beans in a medium roast mm-hmm. so that you know people can feel better aroma and also better taste. 
Yeah, and more variety of mm. flavor too, Mm -hmm. which that was interesting. And it made me realize why some coffee is so much better. I didn't really understand why Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when people hate coffee and say it's bitter, maybe it's just because they've been drinking cheap coffee. It's been (laughs) over-roasted. So there's... They burned out all the flavor and made it taste bitter. Like in Korea, if I think about coffee, at least they used to, um, coffee should be either really bitter and dark, or it's really sweet. It's probably the same coffee. They just added a bunch of sweetener yeah, but, to it. But then it doesn't have the coffee beans flavor. Right. Like, what kind of bean did they use? And we, you cannot tell. There's no Guatemalan or Ethiopian or, you know, it's just a coffee. It's a combination. Yeah. yeah. So, well, it's good to know that we have a single origin coffee sources. I think it's probably becoming, I mean, I'm not sure, but I kind of have heard that mm. the attention to coffee quality, mm. it's coming to Korea. I mm. think they're getting more concerned about the quality of the coffee there. For sure. Like Marty said, it was almost 10 years ago when he visited Korea. He found this little cafe in Jeonju, and this guy was running the business on his own roasting, doing the uh, latte art, mm-hmm. and providing really good coffee by himself. Yeah, as a one-man show. It's yeah. pretty impressive. Oh, like, really? That kind of thing existed 10 years ago? Maybe. I, I think that's interesting, too, because that story sort of represents, to me, in my mind, like mm-hmm. what Portland's doing about coffee mm-hmm. and what Korea's doing about coffee. Mm-hmm. Because in Portland, you don't... I mean, you might get some latte art, right. but as we mentioned in some of the articles, it's really about good quality coffee and single source and organic and... Mm-hmm. All of the coffee shops we went to, they mm-hmm. might have pastries or something, but it's about the coffee, right? right. And when I was in Korea last year, mm-hmm. I went to several coffee shops, and I mean, we got some good coffee there too, but it's like the focus is kind of on the presentation. There's a lot of themed coffee shops. Right. We went to a dog cafe, we went to the Hello Kitty cafe, um, and we went to some other cafes where it's you could get like cotton candy on your co- on your latte, <laughs> or you could drink your latte out of a toilet. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the little porcelain cup was shaped like a toilet yeah it's all kind of themed and Uh so they have i mean some of them they would create entire little cartoon like the popular bears i forget what their names are now on top of your coffee cup you would have out of foam and whatnot an entire little animal face built up on top of your coffee cup not just in the latte art i feel like here the, the focus is definitely more on the flavor and the sourcing and all of that. And there, you have some of that, but it's really on the presentation. Mm. When I visited Korea three years ago, I noticed that more and more people are also caring about the size of the coffee, too. The big, gigantic size of the coffee for 2 3 dollars Hmm. And then it's not an actual coffee shop. It's more like a kiosk kind of places. Hmm. And then they were getting these massive coffees and then holding it and then walking around. And I could see that yellow, I don't remember the name of the brand, but they had a yellow uh, cup holder kind of thing. So they were like, whoa, that's really big. And then they were like, yeah, it's only 2 to $3. Wow. So people care about <laughs> those kind of things too, apparently. So. Yeah, well, and if it's only 2 to $3, that's a lot different than the other huge coffee place that you can go here which is Starbucks (laughs) and I saw plenty of those in Korea as well also Dutch Bros yeah Dutch Bros is pretty big here too Mm. and Pete's Coffee is pretty big also but then Pete's Coffee has one of the longest history of it's been around a long time yeah right and one of the question also is about the Starbucks as you mentioned how did Starbucks start growing here like as big as now like this 
Well, Starbucks, I mean, part of its claim to fame here, specifically in the Pacific Northwest, is that it came from Seattle. Mm. So it started off as one of those small local roasters. that They were roasting their own coffee and doing their own thing. But I think part of what helped them grow so much was a couple of things. They were one of the first companies to bring espresso to the market, mm. um, which was new and I think interesting to people because previously, if you wanted espresso, it was kind of a, like a European thing. Okay. And then also convenience. They they really did the drive-through really oh, well. Okay. They popularized that. They got people good quality coffee and did it quickly. So you could just drive up and get it in the right. drive-through. And that was kind of a thing. new thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just the fact that they really sold their brand. I mean, they, they spread it. They tried to spread it everywhere, but they kept it really consistent. So mm-hmm. people would recognize it and they would be familiar with it. Like, they knew what they were getting. And I think all of that helped it become really popular. I mean, and it helped that we were in the Pacific Northwest where everybody likes their coffee anyway. So that helped it spread and it's everywhere now. Mm, oh, it is. Like I remember back in 2005 or six ish it started becoming a really huge deal for especially among a lot of women who are called Dwenjangnya. <laughs> Oh, doenjang is fermented bean. Korean traditional food, you use it as a seasoning when you make vegetable-based food or even with the meat or fish. It goes everywhere. So, which means it represents Korea anyways. And there, there were girls who are not financially independent but like to pursue the New Yorker's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And they saw these Olsen sisters, twins, right. twins, and Paris Hilton, they're always holding this big Starbucks venti size cups and walking everywhere with the sunglasses and expensive bags everywhere. So there are girls who are doing this exactly the same way. There you go. You have to have this Starbucks coffee. So it became a status symbol. Yeah. And everybody knows that, hey, you probably are not (laughs) working or you probably get the money from your parents or your husband, I don't know, maybe boyfriend, but... So they see through Yeah, that's why people were just kind of, yeah, making fun of them and they called them Tenjangnya. But apparently it helped, you think it helped popularize Starbucks? Oh yeah, well people know, yeah, what are are they holding? What is that? Is that a coffee? Okay, let's try, you know? So it kind of became more... So maybe Starbucks should have paid them for their advertising. Maybe, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Uh, next one is, after we talked to Marty, what was the most interesting fact that you found? Well, the thing I liked most about talking to Marty mm-hmm. was he was so enthusiastic about what yeah. he was doing. Like, you could tell he really loved yeah. what he did. Like, mm-hmm. he loved the whole process. Mm-hmm. He loved roasting the beans. He loved interacting with the people, both mm-hmm. the farmers and the customers. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to listen to him because he could walk us through the whole thing and tell us about every step of the way and still make it super interesting right. because he was so enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot just listening to him and talking to him about the industry as a whole that I didn't know before, but I enjoyed doing it because he was so enthusiastic. Very informative too, mm-hmm. things that we never knew or didn't even know how to ask. And then he just brought up so many things that were very, very interesting for us. And then the day I was like, hey, you should probably open a school or something and then teach people about these kind of things for the sake of them and also for the sake of the coffee industry itself, you know? Hopefully, maybe one day. Yeah, he made that comment. In fact, I wrote about it in one of the posts where, or I think I quoted him, Mm -hmm. where he said that he wants to help educate the public Mm -hmm. because he doesn't think people realize the labor that goes into creating Mm -hmm. coffee. Mm -hmm. So he really wants to make them more aware so they can appreciate what they're drinking right. a little bit more. Right. It was a very interesting experience and we definitely enjoyed learning more about coffee through this tour and the interview and through your articles too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
So hopefully you learned something or at least found it interesting. And if you are in Portland, mm -hmm. you should check out one of those tours. Mm -hmm. And if you check the blog, we have a coupon code for you. So if you're in the area, if you live in the area, or if you're visiting Portland, mm -hmm. you can get a discount on one of those tours. So mm -hmm. check the blog for that. Mm -hmm. So we hope you've been enjoying our podcasts. And we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us and what we've got to share with you. Hopefully you're finding it enjoyable. If you'd like to thank us in a monetary way, we've actually been setting up a Patreon account. So if you want to learn more about that, you can head over to patreon.com and look up our page on there, which is under Unbounded Compass. And if you'd like to thank us in a monetary way, we have a couple of levels. It'll all be clarified on the page for you. And then there are some perks if you'd like to contribute to our cause here so we can continue to do this for you. And if you're not able to financially support us at this time, we totally understand. We appreciate you listening or even just giving us a shout out somewhere. So if you want to mention us on your social media or just word of mouth to a friend, get the word out there, that would also be just as much appreciated. So if you wanna find a little bit more information about how you can do that, head on over to Patreon. We'll put some links up for you. So if you are enjoying our podcast and you find that there are not just some things you've learned, but also some questions you might have, some language use or even cultural questions, don't forget to send your comments, questions, suggestions to us through our blog, and we will address some of those questions, potentially in future podcasts and blog posts, but also as some of those perks that you might get if you become a contributor on Patreon. So keep those comments and suggestions coming and come back and see us next time. I'm Jenny. I'm Inya. And we'll see you later. Bye.